Hello and welcome to Inside the Artist Studio. My name is Sean Davis Newton, here representing the Cups and Cakes Network. Today I'm going to share an interview with you that I did mere hours ago with Olivia Street, the front woman from King of Foxes. They just put out their brand new record, Twilight of the Empire, and we dive deep into the recording of that record, talk a lot about Olivia's songwriting process, and uh, how she approached collaborating on uh, co-writing some songs for this uh, new record for the very first time. Of course, there may be some foul language in this episode, so listener beware. And as always, you can find other episodes of this podcast, as well as other audio, video, and written content over on the Cups and Cakes Network website. That's cupsandcakespod.com. One more time for all y'all in the back, that's cups, the letter N, cakespod.com. Here's Olivia Street from King of Foxes. My name's Olivia Street, and I'm the singer-songwriter behind King of Foxes, an Edmonton-based indie alternative band. Beautiful. This is actually the second uh, second time you're coming on the show. I think last time was, uh, I would have been at McEwen, and we were doing it, I think, in one of the studios there. I think. That's right. It's been a minute. That would have been uh, when my last record came out, so gosh, 2018. So I feel like it's been just a time warp since then, though. Time has no meaning. You know, we're back kind of to the moment <laughs> where we started, and no time has passed at all. <laughs> yeah, I know. I've uh, I've got a birthday coming up, and it's the weird thing where you just, like, there's an age that it feels like you should be based on the pandemic, and then it's like, oh, no, I'm two years older <laughs> than that. Uh <laughs> But, it's uh, like dog years now. We have to count in yeah, <laughs> pandemic yeah. years. Uh, this is, of course, Inside the Artist Studio. Uh, we're going to dive into some rapid fire stuff, and then we're going to chat about uh, the brand new record, which is Twilight of the Empire, and uh, and a bunch of fun things surrounding that. Um, yeah, without any further ado, we'll kind of dive into the rapid fire stuff. Uh, ah, d- I'm scared. I'm terrible <laughs> under pressure. I'm going to say all the wrong things. <laughs> It's funny, whenever whenever somebody's been on the show before, it's like, oh man, I don't know how fresh these questions are. Some of them <laughs> some of them you've probably answered before. Is uh is there a specialty dish that you cook or bake that makes people think of you? I think that would have to be my signature uh, lemon cake that I learned how to make during the pandemic. And my kid always asks for that now. So it's basically just the world's easiest like cake. It's like a little cup of this, cup of sugar, cup of flour, cup of lemons, not really, but some lemon zest is kind of a, a pound cake. Um, and yeah, that definitely got us through some dark days. We would butter that up and just, uh, yeah, just swim in the carbs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. D- did you grow up doing lots of baking or... I guess, yeah, when I was a kid, my mom used to bake with me. And, you know, before I had kids, too, and had apparently free time, I would do more of that as well. But, uh, yeah, things definitely slowed down over the past couple of years, so kind of took it up again. We baked lots of bread at our house, too. That was pretty fun. Oh, yeah. Was there, like, I'm always curious because I think lots of folks got pretty deep into bread. Uh, Is there a specific kind of bread that you were making lots of? Yeah, bread. It was a vibe for sure. Um, we were doing like the classic sourdough that I think lots of people were doing and and kind of had that going over the pandemic. But yeah, unfortunately, we kind of lost the habit. I want to get back to it, though, because no store-bought bread is as good as homemade bread. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Do you prefer tea or coffee? Coffee all the way. I need my uh, just regular homebrew, normal plain Jane coffee first thing in the morning. And then if it's the afternoon, I might venture into like latte espresso territory. But um, it's just got to be basic and in my hand first thing in the morning. 
does caffeine hit you pretty hard or is that kind of are, are you long past that uh, it just point? gets me to normal you know it just gets me to feeling like I can handle the day <laughs> yeah 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 fair enough I know I I I can handle one cup of coffee in the morning and it's the greatest thing. It's the best. Uh, if I drink like one more cup of coffee at any point in the day, I will be like a disaster. Are you, um, a, tea, are you a tea person? Am I allowed to ask you questions too? Is sure, that allowed? Uh, I'm flattered. Uh, <laughs> um, it's, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I used to drink a lot of tea and then I started working at Riverdale Recorders and they are very strong coffee people there. And so I started drinking lots of coffee. Um, but yeah, I don't know why. Just at a certain point in my life, I realized caffeine just does not hit right most of the time. I have to be like kind of careful about it. <laughs> it's a gateway drug. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's the first car you ever owned? Uh, I believe it was a, a Mazda 323, which for kids of the 90s, you might remember that Chick Stickett song that talks about my little 323. It was just like that one. It was it was little and cute and got me where I needed to go. I missed yeah, that yeah. car. What is it like? Are we talking like a sedan or like a hatchback like, kind of you know, thing? One or? of those little mini. Yeah, maybe slightly bigger than a hatchback, but um, certainly like not big enough to fit a whole band's worth of drums and amps and everything. Nowadays, my car has to be like you can fit a four piece in it and all our gear or it doesn't, it doesn't work. <laughs> how long did you have that car? How, how long did it last? Um, I think maybe when I was like in high school and early university, it was already, you know, an elderly car by then. So. Yeah, I'm always impressed whenever anybody has their first car for more than about two years. Just again, I was in a family where there were lots of what I would call minor but car-ruining car accidents. Oh, dear. <laughs> yeah, and so nothing really lasted very long. Yeah, touch wood, I've never been in a serious car accident, but uh, yeah, definitely had my share of, of bumper incidences. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Honest, honestly, it's just the thing where the car is worth $200 and then somebody rear-ends you or you rear-end somebody and then the car is no longer worth literally anything. <laughs> so, yes, you just walk away. <laughs> yeah. Goodbye, goodbye forever. Is there a hobby or a pastime that uh, that surprises you that you uh, have some interest in? Oh, that's an interesting one. Um, well, I don't know if it's that surprising, but I definitely like, as you can see, I have a glass of red wine in my hand right now. I'm really interested in wine culture. I, I was a waiter for a long time and really got um, into just kind of exploring the worlds of wine. So this, I can tell you, is a delightful Pinot Noir from Costco, under $18. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I really love food and cooking and kind of everything that goes along with that. So, I mean, I guess that's not really a surprising hobby. Everybody likes to eat and drink. But. <laughs> yeah. Have Have you managed to find like, um, okay, I guess two part question. Is there like a really, really nice like treat yourself bottle of wine that you go to? Um, and second part of that, is there a really cheap bottle of wine that you really like that is shockingly good? Yeah. Great questions. Um I love Bordeaux and like old world style kind of wine. So if it's my birthday or a special occasion, I'll get like a nice Bordeaux or Barolos from Italy too. I really love those. They're light, but have lots of earthiness. 
Um, and then, yeah, today I'm drinking my, my kind of, what is it? Like two buck Chuck Canadian version. <laughs> it's just, but it's really good. It's, um, actually, um, a Canadian Pinot Noir from See You Later Ranch. And again, I hinted it, it's from Costco, but I don't work there, but, uh, I don't get any, any commission <laughs> from selling these, but it's yeah, really yeah. good value and, and good yummy. And actually yeah, yeah. Costco brand champagne is not too bad too. If you're ever like wanting to celebrate something, but not too much, you know, Kirkland brand champagne for the win. <laughs> It's like news that's good, but not too good. Yeah, but yeah. like pretty good, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what is, uh, when when you are spending time recording and in the studio, what is your like ultimate studio snack? Ooh, ultimate studio snack. Well, I think my producer was making fun of me last time because I would always show up with like cheese and dairy products to eat. He's like, that's the worst thing for your voice. Like, stop doing that. I'm like, I can't help it. Cheese is just my go-to everything. Um yeah, I I think I kind of forget to eat, honestly, like when I'm in the studio, I'm just like so wrapped up in it. I could go all day and I'm like, oh, like all I had was a granola bar. You know, I'm just kind of in my happy place. <laughs> <laughs> where, where did you record the kind of majority of the record? Because I, I mean, this is getting into a little part two stuff maybe, but I assume some of it at Stu's place. This is Stu Kirkwood. Um and yeah. then did, did you do stuff at Department 9 too? or? Yeah, we did. We, we did both spaces. Um, Department 9 is a huge, lovely, beautiful studio with a giant room for drums. And so we did that there. And they have some like vintage instruments as well that we incorporated. Like there's like a Hammond organ with a Leslie speaker that actually came from Stu's uh, old studio place. He used to have sound extractor. Um, but now he's moved uh, most of his sound extractor gear into his basement. Um, so we did a lot of writing and recording there and then just used the larger space when we need like room for gang vocals and drums and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is there a social media account that you like to follow that brings you some joy when you uh, when you scroll past it? Mm, social media, the, the devil that binds us. Um, <laughs> I, I quite love the Instagram of the, the woman that actually did the album art on my album. Her name is Kathleen Neely, and she's an artist based in Tulsa. And uh, I just discovered her because I love, you know, like lino prints and woodblock prints, that kind of style. And I'd been sort of following those hashtags for a while. And I discovered her feed, and she's just incredible, um, incredible at what she does. These beautifully intricate, almost like medieval-looking um, lino cuts. So I love following her stuff. She's She's got great, great Instagram feed. Yeah, it's always nice to get an answer that is like an art thing and not like... So I follow this great account that's like whatever meme kind of bullshit. And it's like that stuff's great <laughs> too, right? But um, yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a shockingly good platform for artists, like visual artists, which always kind of surprises me. Totally. And it was so cool how like I was just able to find her and connect and reach out and kind of end up having this neat artistic collaboration that like wasn't possible in the days before social media. I never probably would have come across her. So yeah, it's pretty cool. And it's in its own way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, if you could open for any band or artist who's uh, who would be the dream to open for? Oh, let's see. Um, I recently, I emailed Sloan. I was like, hi, Sloan, I'm Olivia. I want to open for you. They didn't reply, but that's probably just because they're, they're going to, they just haven't gotten to me yet. Um, no, but I, I was, I was so stoked when I saw they were touring, but I think they're not doing any openers on this tour. They're just doing like two sets. Um, they would be amazing. Um, 
I kind of, I got to open for some dream folks this summer that was like, you know, high school me would have been going insane and I was still going insane, but like Bare Naked Ladies, you know, was a huge yeah, idol of mine yeah. for years. Um, and Sam Roberts band was on that bill too. And the best part is they were all so lovely. They were such nice people. They were so nice. They're like, would you need anything? Like, can we, I'm like, do I need anything? No, I'm just basking in your, in your glow. <laughs> Yeah, it's always kind of nice to meet folks like that, just because I've had kind of both experiences where you meet people that you look up to in a certain way, and either they're just like so kind, or they just do not have the time of day, really. And it's kind of nice to, <laughs> uh, you know, 90% of the time, they're the nicest people on the planet. And it's great. Yeah, it's the best. they say you should never meet your heroes, right? Because you don't want to be disappointed. But it's nice when the world, you know, shows you a nice, beautiful human that lives up to what you were hoping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you remember the first song you ever wrote? Um, the first good song? <laughs> I've probably written, you know, lots of garbage that didn't even make it into the, uh, the halls of my memories. But, um, you know, I guess I started writing earnestly when I was in university, maybe, and kind of was finally got the courage to, to share some of my stuff with a friend. And he was like, you write good hooks. And I was like, what's a hook? <laughs> I didn't even know what that term was at the time. Um, so yeah, yeah, I remember some of those those early moments just kind of finding my footing. And um, But yeah, I've always been kind of writing tunes and a little bit musical, but I certainly wasn't like a prodigy who was, you know, releasing albums at the age of 12. It took me some time to build up the courage. <laughs> yeah. What what did you go to school for? I actually did a degree in drama, like in theater, um, an undergrad. And then I went back to school at one point and did a master's in English and creative writing. Okay. Is is that stuff like when you are working on music, do you think back about your experience in both of those areas and kind of apply that in some way or another? that I, I do it consciously but I've always been a writer like I love to write and so the lyrics are obviously super important to me and that's definitely my way into the music you know sort of finding phrases that tickle my fancy and are interesting to me and kind of building from that um so I don't know that I you know it's not that it's a conscious process but I think it's definitely in my DNA to think that way and as for the drama I guess I don't know I'm just I'm a bit of a dork <laughs> So <laughs> I've always enjoyed, you know, being a, a theater kid and I used to be in lots of plays and stuff. So certainly performance is, is a lot of fun and I enjoy yeah, that yeah. side of it for sure. Got uh, two rapid fire ones left. Is is there an album that spurred your love of music? Oh gosh, I one of the albums my parents used to have kind of in their tape collection, I guess it would have been, uh, was a, a Ricky Lee Jones album. The one, I forget the name of it actually, but she's got a beret on the front cover and she's like smoking a clove cigarette and she looks cooler than any of us could ever hope to be. Um, and I remember putting that record on and just being so uh, taken by her voice and her delivery. And that was one of the first uh, songs I learned to play on guitar was Chucky's In Love. I didn't have a guitar pick at the time. I had, I had just like cut off the end of a plastic knife and I was like, this will do. <laughs> so yeah, that was one of the, I think, earliest memories of learning how to play. Do you go back and listen to it ever, to that record? All the time. Yeah, I love Ricky Lee Jones. She's amazing. Yeah, it's always interesting to me, too, just because I, I know um, I ask that question often, and for the most part, people are like, eh, no, not really. And it's like, what do you, I don't know. I Like, <laughs> the first two or three records that I really, really loved just are, like, so foundational to the type of music that I ended up really, really liking. And so, yeah, I go back to those things often. 
You know, it's funny though, because there are also lots of great records that I was really into at the time that I haven't gone back to in years. And I almost feel kind of like, I don't know, I don't know why, embarrassed to be like, I listened to Jewel. I listened to that album probably like, you know, 50 times when I was in <laughs> junior high, right? So it's got to be sort of in there, but it doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't seem like now something that I'd be like, oh yeah, that's totally my jam. But um, yeah, Jewel, Lisa Loeb, let's see, what other kind of dorky things are in, in my... <laughs> History. I, I love Our Lady Peace. That's not dorky, but I grew up on that kind of like, you know, alternative grungy stuff too. Nirvana, Weezer. I, I, yeah, I'd go back to those records for sure. Yeah, yeah. Weezer Weezer is the big one for me where it's like, I don't really go listen to that very much, but I have uh, a couple of those records hold a very special place in my heart. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I guess I don't reach for it, but I certainly like, yeah, would, yeah. Never, <laughs> would never remove it from my CD rack, you know, it lives there. <laughs> Uh, very last one then. Uh, are there any uh, other Edmonton-based bands that uh, you're really excited about uh, what they're doing right now? Oh gosh, there are so many. Um, I really love like Mariel Buckley's new record is amazing. Um, I just got back from Breakout West, so I saw so many cool bands there, but not all of them were from Edmonton. I'm trying to remember which were some of my favorites. Um, Noella Charles is fantastic. She she's from Edmonton as well, and her uh, her new record is just fire. And I saw her perform, and she's just she's so great. Skinny Dick uh, as well from Lethbridge. That's not an Edmonton band. Oh, yeah. but I really am enjoying his new record too. Yeah, and uh, Shayla Miller's new stuff is really cool too. I, I my taste is all over the map. I, I like all sorts of different genres, but um, yeah, those are just a few that have been <laughs> on my on my record player lately. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, for, for the second half of things, um, I want to talk, of course, a lot about the new record. I, I'm kind of curious um, with anything that's come out in the past year or so, whether, you know, it started as like a pandemic project or how far, uh, like how long ago basically had work kind of started on it and then what was the impact of the pandemic on actually like finishing the work? Yeah, good question. Um, I think, you know, it does qualify as a pandemic record, although I had started it. I'd started it before everything kind of locked down. Um, but it's funny, even some of those songs that I had started before, I kind of look back on now and it feels like it feels like they were pandemic themed, even though they couldn't have been because I started them before. Maybe there was a little hint of premonition there. But um, <laughs> yeah, like the the writing process definitely was very kind of you know, isolated, like we were spending a lot of time at home and it just kind of caused me to have more time to sit with myself and kind of just have that space and energy to focus on that. Like we weren't touring, all of our summer tours got canceled, we were, or whatever time of year it was. Um, and just kind of really having that, you know, sitting with yourself introspective time, I think really helped. Um, but yeah, then when it came to like the recording process too, like we were very, like Stu and I just kind of did it all ourselves at the time because there were various stages of things being kind of closed. And so we, we played all of the instruments. Um, we both did like all of the guitar parts. Um, he does the drum and the bass on like everything is just the two of us. So it was a very <laughs> small team. Um, and then, yeah, like I, I think it, thematically there's a lot of things kind of related to that time period too. Everything just kind of going on socially during that that pandemic period as well and kind of all the social movements and changes that are happening. And I think you kind of hear that in the lyrics too. Yeah, because I wanted to touch a little bit on the album cover, or the, sorry, the album title, which is, uh, I feel like has just a million miles of kind of uh, relevance to a lot of things in the world right now. But I was kind of curious about just 
where that came from for you. Yeah, it was that phrase kept kind of kicking around in my mind. Um, and it was sort of one of those things I'm like, what, like, why do I keep thinking about that phrase? And then I realized, oh, that's going to be your album title. Um, and, and for me, it was kind of like, there's some some glee in it, you know, like the fact that things are changing and shifting and it is the twilight of, you know, I guess kind of the, the things we associate with colonialism and all these kind of uh, old fashioned forces that don't serve us anymore. Um, and so kind of feeling gleeful in the breaking down of those systems. Um, but it gives like a lot of potential for like, what is the world we're going to create right now? Like, what are we moving towards? Like the twilight of something is always the dawn of something else. And there's a lot of hope and positivity in that. It's definitely a, a liminal kind of place, like a space on the edge of a big change. Yeah, yeah. Do you do you keep like a, a notebook or a journal of some kind where you like take note of those kinds of phrases? I do. I mean, it's just in, in my phone mostly, but every time I hear something that, that tickles my ear, I try to write it down. Um, yeah, if I, if I don't, I, I lose things. And I always think, oh, I'm going to remember that if I don't write it down, but I never do. So I try to write everything down. <laughs> How successful do you find that you are at at going back to that list of stuff and actually kind of making sense of it or or finding something that you can use creatively? Yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a, a hodgepodge grab bag. Sometimes you go back and you're like, what was I thinking? Like I was <laughs> describing my fingernails, like what? Well, I'm not going to use that, you know, um, but then you'll find <laughs> gems in there too. So it really, it kind of depends like, you know, how much of a joint I've smoked that night and whether uh, it still makes sense in the morning. Yeah, there's definitely a good and bad in, in that pile. <laughs> yeah, I know I've just got like one very very long uh notes document and at the very top of it there's just a screenshot from a cbc news article uh where it was the article was like uh you know some family had gotten lost in northern ontario and somebody on a snowmobile found them and the uh first like the headline of the article is a quote that just says what in the sam hill are you doing here (laughs) And I've had that save for like years and there's nowhere to use it. It's ridiculous, but it brings me a lot of joy. That's Um, your next album title. There you go. There's your title. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, Two, you had mentioned before, like you are the principal songwriter, but some of this stuff is co-written, correct? Yeah, right. That's right. Yeah, you're working with Stu to do most of those then? Yeah, so most of them, you know, I just sort of... When I started writing this album too, I remember going to Stu and just saying like, oh, I've got all these like scraps of songs and I just haven't felt inspired to finish them right now. I felt really kind of creatively stagnant. Like I would come up with a verse and then I'm like, that's it. I can't do anymore. Um, And so, you know, he was like, you know what? Like, don't despair. Like, let's, you know, let's kind of work on these together. Um, So it was sort of liberating in a way that to come into the studio and not be like so precious about my songwriting, like, okay, here is the entire thing and it's perfect. And let's just, you know, I didn't want to change anything. It wasn't like that at all. I'd be like, like, here, here's this like bit that I've, you know, written just a little bit. And does it inspire anything? And he'd be like, oh, what about this drum beat to it? You know, and I'm like, hey, that kind of right. re-inspired me to kind of go in. Okay, now that, now that I have that, I can um, I can add to the snowball. So it really kind of woke up um, my creativity a little bit. And that was a new way of, of working for me. I hadn't uh, worked like that before. Normally, I was a bit more kind of like coming in with complete things. And then uh, one of the songs, too, was a co-write with uh, my partner, Brandon, who uh, plays in Electric Religious. I play in that band with him as well. And so, yeah, we collaborated on a few of the songs, too. Um, but, yeah, Stu was just kind of like my, my, my guy in my corner there that would just kind of come, even just helping me out sometimes with arrangement would just, you know, re-inspire me to kind of finish the song and get it done. So, <laughs> yeah, thank you, Stu. Yeah, I, I'm always 
curious too about um, just any kind of collaboration in songwriting, like how you kind of delineate who is going to tackle what kinds of things. And I imagine for the most part it happens fairly naturally. Um, are, are there parts of the songs or elements of the songs that you found yourself uh, attached enough to that you did not want other people to change them? <laughs> Good question. I, I feel like I, I kind of don't let anybody touch my lyrics for the most part, but they, they don't usually try to venture into that area because I'm pretty, like, I pretty much know what I want to say. Um, but yeah, I think yeah. uh, definitely when it comes to more production elements, like I think I'm, I'm learning those skills, um, but more slowly, like I, I definitely am more a melody lyrics um, and kind of like basic outline of a song uh, type of writer. And then Stu kind of has added a lot of that production kind of elements to it that kind of help really shape the thing. So it's, it's so collaborative. Um, yeah. 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 What does it look like for you, um, just like when you're writing alone, what does it look like when you sit down and try to write something? Or like, do you even sit down and consciously try to write or do you just kind of mess around? Like, what does that process look like? Yeah, I I definitely try to carve out time these days. Like life gets so busy. And if I don't kind of force myself to just like, okay, everybody's in bed. Like, you know, you just want to watch Netflix, but like, don't, don't do it. Like sit down and just try and make something happen. Like um, I always get this phrase wrong. This is not the phrase, but you know, if you don't sit on the tracks, lightning's not going to strike you, but you know what I mean? <laughs> You've got to be sitting on the tracks uh, for something to happen. And so even if it's just like plunking away at a little chord and just kind of making noise, sometimes just kind of singing along and nine times out of town, maybe nothing will happen, but you know, maybe on that 10th time, a little bit of a melody comes to you and you're like, Oh, that reminds me of that scrap that I wrote down in my notebook about the Sam Hill or whatever. And you, you put it all <laughs> together. And then you've got that little moment where something just happens. Um, so yes, it, the short answer is carving out time to kind of sit down and just uh, be there, be available. So if the universe has anything for me, I'm there to receive it. Because um, if you don't do that, it, it tends to kind of escape me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are, are you the kind of writer you think where you like where you know what you're writing about while you are writing it? Or do you kind of discover meaning later on? Oh, that's a great question. I I would love to know if everybody answers this the same way. <laughs> I I think that I usually don't know what the hell I'm doing until afterwards. And then I look back and I'm like, oh, that, that makes sense. Like, oh, that's what I was doing. Uh, and I, I think there's kind of a subconscious part of you that's kind of steering that boat, um, at least for me. And so I just kind of, I trust that process and it might not make sense to me at the time, but then it kind of later it does. Is that how you do it? I'm so curious how other people do this. Yeah, I I think um I I think figuring that out about myself was kind of the key to starting to write songs I thought were good. <laughs> um was uh not being very focused on what it's about and just trying to have like images that are interesting and phrases that I think work well together and then kind of inevitably yeah, you can look back on it and there is some meaning, right? It just um uh, it takes some trust, I think, in yourself as an artist to understand that you might not know what's going on, but that there's something going on and it'll work out and you can kind of sit and fix it later <laughs> if it needs it, right? Yeah, I, I like that philosophy. I've done a few like 
song camps recently too, like where you go and meet, you know, strangers and you have like a day or an afternoon or whatever to come up with a song. And that process, it, I, it frightens me a lot. So I always force myself to do it whenever I can. Cause it's just like, I'm not that kind of writer where I walk into a room and on the spur of the moment, I feel like I can come up with something. So it's good practice. Um, yeah. But I, I feel like in those scenarios, you kind of end up being like, well, we've got to write a song about, and you have to have a topic because you're collaborating so quickly with people. And I've, I've found that sometimes what you get is sort of, not that I haven't had good songs come out of those scenarios, but it's just a different uh, way of approaching it in those kind of groups. And it sometimes you end up with a song that like none of you would ever do anything with. <laughs> and maybe it's not a bad song, but it's just not, it's not for anyone. <laughs> I feel like some of the success of that model sometimes is just that, um, you know, if you've got five people and you're going to get together and do that and you can finish like a couple songs in a day, and then come back the next day and just keep writing like that. It's like, oh, yeah, you're going to write a ton of material and some of it will be good. It's got to be. Yeah, you've got to get some of that dead wood out of the way. And then surely there's a gem in the pile. No, I think it's a good practice. Absolutely. So I want to do more of it. I love I love hearing about how other people songwrite and just kind of learning from other people's processes, too. Yeah, yeah. Do you do you come back and edit a lot or do you find that like once you have you know, like, quote unquote, a finished version of something, it remains pretty stable. I think there's a lot of editing too. Like when I write as well, I often write for how the words feel and sound. Like I just know that it needs to kind of have this consonant feel. And so I'll just kind of write a placeholder to, that kind of says a certain thing. And then later I'll go back and like, is that what you really mean though? And try to kind of uh, like, like you're chiseling a sculpture, you kind of do the big pieces off first to get the kind of outline and then you go back in with the finer tools to kind of really bring the details out. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to make sure too, I touch a little bit on, I, I always get really into process questions and I can get a little lost in that hole, but um, uh, for this record, uh, y'all did a bunch of music videos and I was kind of curious about... Um, what you feel is the importance of having like a video component along with the music that you're writing and how that kind of um, reinforces or supports the the things you're trying to do in the songs. Yeah, well, like I grew up on much music. I, I am a sucker for music videos. I love them as an art form. Like I think it's just a really cool way to visually explore songs. And I know we don't really have that platform anymore, but I mean, the internet is, you know, pretty visual too. So yeah. I really love having that kind of calling card that people can see, you know, not just like kind of what I look like doing a song, but also a bit of the personality too. You know, there's kind of a chance to just sort of show other sides of yourself. And I love, I love comedy. And so kind of getting a chance to do some videos this year that were sort of funny was just so much fun. It was like, what, what else am I doing really like on a Sunday? Then like, you know, it's just a, good, a fun activity with your friends shooting music videos. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did, did some of that happen at department nine too, or did that uh, no, we actually did the only here on loan was shot in front of a green screen at a studio called Road 55. And um, gotcha. yeah, there were like 17 costumes changes and nine different <laughs> wigs. And that took two days and like one very patient camera crew. It was so much fun. <laughs> they, I was like a human Barbie doll. <laughs> yeah, is, um, is, is the process of actually performing in those like obviously you're coming from a drama background. And so I imagine you have some comfort with it but does it stress you out at all or 
Um, that was pure fun. Like it was uh, such a dream to work with. Darren Hagen directed that one. And it was just the two of us. And well, I mean, not the two of us. I mean, there was a costume designer involved, makeup artist. But yeah, we just yeah. had a lot of fun just imagining what these different characters would kind of be like. And all these different sides of Olivia came out depending on what decade I was in. And that was just all sort of natural. It was it just kind of we didn't plan it that way. But I think it's hilarious. Like the, the 90s Olivia who just doesn't have time for you is so uh <laughs> So yeah, bored, yeah. and uh, all the different decades had a different flavor. Did it stress out Stu at all to act in a music video? <laughs> it might have a little. I had to convince him. I really had to convince him. He's so uh, he's so he's such an outgoing person, but he was a little bit camera shy at first. He didn't want to do it, but I begged him to because I knew that the boss had to be Stu, and he had to wear that amazing wig and that amazing yeah, yeah. suit. And I think I think he's brilliant as a comedy actor. He, it's, it's so hilarious his part as the bad boss. <laughs> uh, gonna dive a bit more specifically into one song of your choosing so we're going to play a song here at the end of the episode and uh first of all i guess is uh is there one that you particularly want to talk about oh um you know i let's talk about never mind i le- i love that song it's not like a lot of the other songs on the record uh, it's a little bit uh, darker a little bit more introspective but i i really love that song um, I, I knew what I wanted, like every part of that song to be like, and, you know, I worked so hard, like to kind of get the tiny details of it. So it has a, a special place in my heart, um, that song. How, how deep do you get into kind of dilemmas about track listing? Oh, so deep. It's so important. And I know like nobody probably even cares anymore. Everyone's probably just like playing the odd single. No one's even listening to these albums, but I I spend hours like listening to it in every permutation and like this was very thought out, like how I wanted it to be. (laughs) Yeah, because I've I've got it pulled up on Bandcamp because I'm always curious to just the number of times when I will uh, ask what song people want to talk about. And it is often something in the back half of the record. Um. What what makes this, I guess, a good like B side track then? Like something uh something to kind of surprise people uh who've made it through the rest of the record. Well, it's the kind of track that I think you probably would never hear on the radio. Like no one's gonna put that on. <laughs> it's more than three minutes and it's about depressing things and it's like but I, I just um I think lyrically I was just really pleased with where that song ended up and um it's a really kind of uh a different side of the band that I think you, you you have to kind of get through the rest of the album to to see this part, right? Right. Yeah. Did it did it come pretty quick? Was it like a, a an an easy one to write? I know that's not really necessarily how <laughs> anything goes, but like, um, yeah. Did it come quick or did it, uh, it take some work? Ah, it's funny when songs are completed. I never like remember how they happened, it seemed it seemed like it was easy when you look back, but it's kind of like, you know, as a runner, I, I, I like to run a lot too. And it's like, I never enjoy running. I like hate every moment of it, but I love having run. I love having finished running. And so songwriting sometimes is that way too. It kind of feels like a slog when I'm in the middle of it. Like, I'm like, this is never going to be the way I want. I'm never going to get it. It's never going to be right. And then when it is, it's like, oh, that was easy. Like, it, you know, you kind of forget about all the, the heavy lifting in the middle. Um, I think this is one of those ones where I had, uh yeah like lyrically like the first verse kind of tumbled all out and I was like oh I, I've got something here and then it took a long time to kind of figure out um the rest of the pieces to kind of finish it you know lyrically right um, yeah the, the second verse curse right yeah I I often and I realize this 
like maybe a year and a year half ago, or a year and a half ago, um, I just get so stuck on courses. Um, for whatever reason, I often find that I've written something. It's like, oh yeah, I could write like 10 of these verses and I'll pick the best two. And then, uh, yeah, I don't know. Right now there's just a spot where a course would be and uh, something will go there eventually. Um. <laughs> and choruses, yes. I'm always like, unfortunately, much to the chagrin of probably everybody in radio I've ever <laughs> submit songs to, they're like, you need a chorus. This is an anti-chorus. Your song doesn't have a chorus. I'm like, I, I just like it this way. <laughs> Cool. Well, we're going to listen to a song uh, called Nevermind from Twilight of the Empire. Um, this has been an interview with King of Foxes. Olivia, uh, yeah, thanks so much for sitting down to chat. Thank you so much for having me.
Inside the Artist Studio is produced by Sean Davis Newton for the Cups and Cakes Network. Featured track, Nevermind, was played with permission from King of Foxes. Thanks to Laundry Week for the use of their song, Nothing on My Mind, from the Grimpy EP as our intro and outro music. Inside the Artist Studio is one of the many ways the Cups and Cakes Network highlights Canadian music. Visit our website, cupsandcakespod.com, to browse our audio, video, and written content. That's cups, letter N, cakespod.com. Thanks for listening.